How many of you have ever hung? I want you to raise your hand for this if you have. How many of you have ever hung a picture on the wall? Okay, raise your hand if you have done that. Okay, very good. That's just about a majority here. Uh, now, you don't have to raise your hand for this one, but you can if you would like to uh, cleanse your soul. How many of you have ever hung a picture on the wall and sometime thereafter your picture or mirror or something came crashing down? You've had that experience. Not as many people being honest there, but uh, anyway, uh, yes, I've had that experience as well. And uh, of course, little little lesson that 95% of you know, but for those of you that don't, you can learn something besides just Bible today, okay? That uh, if you're going to put a nail or a screw in the wall, uh, if you're going to hang something that has any weight to it at all, you want to try to find the two-by-four behind there that is called the stud, because if you can find that, you can you can drive a big, heavy nail or screw in there, and that'll hang all kinds of weight on there. Now, if you can't find that, you uh, they have these things right here, and this is one of many different kinds of anchors. And uh, this, now this one, you don't want to find a two-by-four when you're using this, and I've had that experience where, oh, man, wouldn't have figured this is the time I accidentally found the stud. But if you're just putting it into a uh, just into sheetrock right there, uh, you just you put it anywhere and uh, you you screw that in, and then you put the screw into this. Now that's not going to hold a a fifty pound mirror, but it will hold your picture or your lighter thing right there. So just a little 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 self help tip there at church today. So I hope that's a blessing to you. But this is called an anchor, and there is the problem if you've ever hung something that came crashing down, you failed to properly anchor the picture. All right? It was probably, let's see, I think it was 16 years ago, if I'm not mistaken, and uh, we were living in the previous house to the one where we live now, and uh, I became aware that we did not have enough closet space. So I was going to do my wife the wonderful favor of giving her some closet space. I wonder if you even remember this night. And uh, we, so I spent all day long, and I went to Home Depot, and I got the, you know, those those uh, nice hanging racks and all the hardware that goes with it. And I spent a good part of the day getting them all up there. And uh, from there, uh, we took we took. Uh, stuff that was crammed into smaller closets, and we hung it all up there. And I was so proud of myself that... Now, mind you, I hadn't built a closet. I had just hung these racks on the wall. And I forget if I had intended to build a closet, because eventually I did build a closet there. But uh, for now, I was just putting these... And they were meant for hanging clothes on. I should point that out. I hung them. I thought I had anchored them well. We hung all the clothes up there. And I went to bed that night thinking, I am such a good husband so proud of myself. And it was about three o'clock in the morning. It sounded like a train was coming through the room. That whole wall, all those clothes on those racks just just fell to the ground. Amy and I just both sat up, jolted up in bed. And and, uh, I realized once I came out of my stupor, what had happened there, I had not anchored those clothes properly. So as I said, I eventually wound up building a closet that uh, it would take a hand grenade to bring down after that. So, But my mistake, my failure was, I thought I had anchored it, but I had not. I want you to look at the verse we read a minute ago, Hebrews 6.19, if your Bible is still open. Which hope we have as an anchor of the soul. 
both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil. Now, this is the only time in the entire Bible that the word anchor is used. And it's talking about anchoring your soul. Now, you, you hope to have 80, 90, 100 years of life on this earth. We all don't know how much we have. But whatever you hope to have in life, however many years you hope to live, how much thought have you ever given to anchoring your soul? You know, and I, I hate to say that ladies might especially be guilty of this. In fact, I'm not going to say that. I've already said it, so whatever you want to think. But sometimes you can get a nice new picture, and it's so beautiful that you just want to get it on the wall so fast that you don't give any thought whatsoever to whether it will stay up there. That's just a hypothetical uh, illustration right there. Ladies, I know you're not guilty of that ever. So you just you look in a drawer until you find a nail, and you pound that nail into the sheetrock. You don't check to see anything about it except it's in there, and now let me take my picture and hang it on the nail, and isn't that beautiful? And uh, that, that picture's coming down at some point, I can just about guarantee you. That's the way a lot of folks live their lives. We're so excited about life and so anxious to get it started that any old nail will do, and any old spot in the wall will do. If you don't want your life to come crashing down, you better take some time to make sure that your soul is properly anchored. And this verse says, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul. And the context, if I could summarize it, whatever you choose to put your hope in, is what you're anchoring your soul to. Jesus told the story. You're very familiar with it, probably. Just about everybody, if not everybody here, is familiar with this story. Jesus told the story about two men. Each of these men was building a house. From everything we can tell about these houses, they were very similar. Same material, same basic structure, same basic procedure. But the difference between these two houses was not how they were built, but where they were built. Because one man built his house on the sand. Another man built his house on a rock. And the storms came and the floods came and the, house, the, the houses were the same. See, the basic way that we live our lives to the, to the common eye looks the same. We're all doing basically the same stuff. Getting a mortgage and uh, getting married, having kids, buying cars, and having a job. We're all basically doing the same stuff. But what you can't always see is what's underneath the house. And Jesus said that this house that was built on the sand, when the storm and the floods came, it was destroyed. But this house that was built on the rock, it was, it stood. It wasn't poor craftsmanship that caused the house to be destroyed or caused this house to, or good craftsmanship that caused this one to stand. It was where they chose to build the house. I say to you once again, Whatever you choose to put your hope in is what you are anchoring 
your soul to. It's where you are building your house. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a point here, and I want you to listen carefully, and it'll go quickly. It's all squeezed together, but I want you to get this from Hebrews chapter 6. In Hebrews chapter 6, the hope that the Bible talks about is the hope that is made possible by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Read the context and you'll see that. So it's talking about the hope that is made possible by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. All right? Uh, Smack yourself in the head. I'm seeing some eyelids right now. The hope that is made possible by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. If you comprehend that, raise your hand. Yes, I understand, Pastor, that the hope that it's talking about is the hope that's made possible by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Thank you very much. Wake yourself up and put your hand back down. That's awesome. All right. But interwoven with the salvation that is made possible by Jesus Christ here are the promises of God that make us aware of that salvation. Now, if we were doing a Bible study, I would have us go through the chapter and look at time after time after time. It's clearly talking about the message getting to us. So you could see, yes, it's talking primarily about the hope that we have through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. But you would also see that we only know about the sacrifice of Jesus Christ because of the promises of God. Let me put it, summarize it for you, though. Verse 12, you see the word promises. Verse 13 is the word promise. Verse 15 is the word promises. Verse 17 is the word promise and also the phrase there, the hope set before us. Now, think with me. Where are the promises of God set before us? Only one place. In that book that you have in your hand. If it wasn't for the Bible, you wouldn't know about Jesus. If it wasn't for the Bible, you wouldn't know about The cross. You wouldn't know about the empty tomb. You wouldn't know about the promises like he that believes on the Son has everlasting life. He that believes not the Son shall not. That's from the Bible. If you didn't have the Bible, you wouldn't know that. So the primary target or or, or example of the hope given in Hebrews 6 is the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. But indispensable to that hope is the Bible, the promises... That tells us about the hope. Let me ask you a question. Where have you chosen to anchor the hope of your soul? Now, you're not going to be tested over that. There's no quiz at the end today. You're not going to get any homework except the homework of life. The homework of life, you're going to have to answer that question. Where have you chosen to anchor the hope of your soul? I, was, I grew up in church. I grew up the first uh, four years of my life. My, my uh, mother, my sister, and I went to the First Baptist Church of Brewster. My, my mother's side of the family had been there for, uh, since my, my, her parents went there. First Baptist Church of Brewster. When I was four years old, my uh, great uncle became the pastor of Patterson Baptist Church over here in Patterson. 
And uh, so we started making the trip from North Salem up to uh, Patterson to go to church, the Patterson Baptist Church. I've been in church, Baptist church, my entire life. When I was about 13 or 14, that would be 1980, 1981, I came to the realization that, you know what? If I grew up in a Mormon home, I'd probably be a Mormon right now. Okay, I believe the Bible with all my heart, but if I'd have grown up in a Jewish home, I would believe the, the Old Testament right now. I would probably be believing with just as much fervor what I was raised in if I was raised in something else. And I decided, especially since I had surrendered to preach when I was about seven, I decided, you know what, I'm not going to just give my life to my family's tradition. I'm going to give my life to the truth. And so I set out to seek the Lord. God, show me what is true. And I was serious. I told the Lord, God, whatever you say is true, I will believe it and I will give my life to it. I don't care what it makes me. I will be what you show me is true and what I'm supposed to be. And I was serious about it. And I put a lot of of time and effort and fervor When I was 13, 14, 15 years old, I wanted to know God's truth. And he taught me. He showed me. The things that I believe, the core things that I believe, you're not ever going to succeed at talking me out of. Why? Because I I have to say I learned them from God when I was 13, 14, 15 years old. And my life today at 50 years old is what it is because of what I decided to anchor my soul to when I was 15 years old. If you anchor the hope of your soul to lies, you will wind up being destroyed. Let me be very frank with you folks. And we're seeing this revealed before our eyes. Hollywood is lying to us. Anybody have no idea what I'm talking about there? We've seen it manifest itself and it's, it's just beginning, I think. Hollywood is lying to us. The pop culture is lying to us. The things they sing about, I mean, every time another actor or another singer dies of an overdose and it's exposed, let me say, and I'm not picking on anybody, but listen, Robin Williams was lying to us. Because while he was getting up showing us how happy he was, he was not happy. And God, have mercy on him. I am not pointing fingers at him. His name came to mind. But they're all lying to us, folks. And how many, I mean, even the actors that you respect, if you respect an actor, have had to hang their heads in shame and say, Yeah, I knew about this guy. Yeah, I've made my millions because I knew about this guy and I didn't say anything. And does does anybody really think that he's the only one, this this, uh, producer? Hollywood's lying to us, but wait a second. Your government's lying to you. Now, time out. I'm not, we're not going Republican or Democrat here. I mean the whole mess. I'd be surprised if there's 5% of people in government that are really sincerely looking out for us. 
But my opinion doesn't matter. What does matter is you're crazy if you anchor your soul to what the government is telling you. I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I think there probably are a lot of things like behind the scenes that are true that we're not even aware of. But I think you can just about bank on it. The government is not telling you what is really going on. I am not a conspiracy theorist, but I have to tell you, it is insane that we still have no idea where that shooter in Nevada came from. That's crazy. We knew more last Sunday about the shooter in Texas than we know now, after over a month, about the shooter in Las Vegas. How is that? You say, Pastor, sounds to me like you are stirring the conspiracy. No, I'm just asking you. You mean to tell me that they're as clueless as we are? I don't think so. I'm saying the government, and this is not a party thing. This is just a flat-out government thing. You're crazy if you anchor your hope, the hope of your soul to your government. They're lying to us. The news media is lying to you. Oh, not me. I watch Fox. Even liars tell the truth once in a while. I'm not... Get nine. I watch Fox too. I'm not, but listen, you're crazy if you anchor the hope of your soul to CBS, NBC, ABC, Fox, or CNN. So, what are we to do? Listen carefully. I want you to listen carefully to this statement, then we're going to look at the solution here. If you make the foolish mistake of believing the liars, you will eventually believe their lies. Okay, so if Hollywood and music and government and the news media, if they're all telling us lies, if there's things they know are true that they're not telling us, I'm still going to you know, enjoy them. I'm just not going to believe their lies. The problem is, if you, if you trust the liars, you're going to, at some point, believe their lies. Say, so, you know, I, I don't listen to the word. I used to say that. I grew up on country and western music where they're talking about drinking and cheating and all that good stuff. I remember asking my mother one time. I went to, it was in Caldors in Richfield. There used to be a, I know it's Caldor, right? But no, it's, it was Caldors in Richfield. And... Um, I remember I wanted to buy uh, Mo Bandy and Joe Stanley had a had a record called Good Old Boys. And man, it was great. It, w- it was awesome. I uh, got an alimony payment to six months overdue and uh, lost a, a, a bet with my brother-in-law. And uh, oh, it was a great song. And I got it out of the thing, record, and uh, brought the record up and told my mother, I, this is what I'm getting with the Christmas money I got. She said, no, you're not. What's wrong with that, Mom? It's country music. It's good. This is, you know, i got to tell you, he's gone to be with the Lord now, so I can say the chairman of our deacon board listened to country music, and I knew it, and nobody cared. This is righteous, Mom! No, it's trash. Okay. (laughs) But my philosophy was, I don't listen to the words. That's how come I can still quote them to you after 30 years. (laughs) I don't listen to the words. So I know that line. I know that line of thinking. Man, I, I don't know if Beyonce's lying to me, but, but I like her. You know, I, okay, so what if Bruno Mars is lying to me? I like him. 
if you trust the liars, you're going to believe their lies. Okay, I didn't come up here to this morning to tear down any false anchor. I came here to tell you about the one true anchor that you have available to you. I ask you again and ponder this in your heart. Where have you chosen to anchor the hope of your soul? Where you choose to anchor your soul will determine how stable your character is. Where you choose to anchor your soul will determine how stable your marriage is someday. How stable your relationships are. How stable your children's lives are. How stable your life is. How stable your eternity is. All decided by where you choose to anchor the hope of your soul. What do you put your confidence in? What do you really believe with all your heart? If you anchor your soul to something that comes crashing down, you'll come crashing down with it. So by the time I was about 16 years old, I had made a careful, prayerful, studied, conscious decision to anchor my entire life on God's word. Have I ever failed? Too many times to count. Do I have regrets and things I'm embarrassed about? Absolutely. But by the grace of God, I'm still standing at 50 years old because while I was young, and by the way, your teenage years is the best time to do your homework. Well, let everybody else party, let everybody else try the drugs, let everybody else run around with the girls or the guys. Uh, The teenage years are your best time to do your homework and find out what, what you can anchor your soul to. And by the grace of God, because I had parents praying for me, I had pastors praying for me, I had Sunday school teachers praying for me, by the grace of God, I did my homework, and by the time I was 16, I made a prayerful, careful decision that I was going to anchor my soul in the Word of God. All right, so the sermon's almost over. That's the good news. But I want you to turn first to 2 Peter chapter 1, and I want to show you you're not going to believe this sermon's almost over when I tell you i got seven things to share with you. But they're going to go fast. 2 Peter chapter 1. And we're going to look at verses 19 through 21. And then I'm going to show you seven truths about the Word of God that if you choose. Now, hey, I don't expect that you walked in here not thinking about this. And that by the end of this 30-minute, hopefully 30-minute message, you're going to come down and say, okay, that's it. I flipped the switch. I decided I'm going to anchor my soul in the Word of God. No, it's not how it works. This also works to scratch your neck with this little anchor right here. Um, By the way, here's another self-help tip. Best back scratcher in the world is a claw hammer. Anyway, oh, yeah. Um, It doesn't work where you just come to church and say, okay, that's it. Pastor said, anchor my soul to the word of God, so I'm going to do it. No, it doesn't work that way. Remember I said I took two years, over two years of my, of my teenage life seeking the Lord. I'm talking about every night. I'm talking about I decided to turn off the sitcoms and go up to my room and seek the Lord. I'm talking about I'd come home from school and I'd go to my long, jo- my lawn lowing jobs or in the fall my, my uh, uh, leaf raking jobs. I'd get home about dark, and I'd I'd eat supper, and I'd go to my room, and I'd get into my Bible, and I'd seek the Lord. That's what you're going to have to do, and that's what you might want to decide to do today, especially if you are a teenager. You know what? I'm going to start seeking the Lord. But let me show you some things about your Bible. You're in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 19 through 21. 
We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto you do well that you take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. All right, let me give you seven quick truths from this passage about your Bible. The Bible you have in your lap there. Seven quick truths about your, pa- about your Bible from this passage. Number one, the Word of God is more sure than anything else to which you can anchor your soul. Don't forget, this is God speaking through Peter. Peter was one of the apostles. That's that Peter, the one that that came to Jesus uh, uh, walking on the water for about two steps. That that Peter, the one that denied Jesus and and then Jesus tracked him down and, and forgave him and helped him get restored. That Peter that had seen all those things happen, God used him to write these words. We have a more sure word of prophecy. And what he's referring to there, partially at least he's referring to being on the Mount of Transfiguration and seeing Jesus in his glorified body and hearing the voice of God say, this is my beloved son. How many of you this afternoon, if I said, would you be willing to skip lunch and go with me and we're going to drive to a mountaintop and we're going to see the glorified body of Jesus Christ and we're going to hear the voice of God say, this is my beloved son. Now, before I get your answer, let me say, don't ever go on a trip like that. If you're invited, don't ever go, okay? <laughs> but let's suppose it really was going to happen. Don't raise your hand because I don't want to know what suckers you are. Uh, <laughs> you would go if you really thought you were going to see the glorified Jesus Christ and hear the voice of God. But Peter said, Peter said, the book you have in your hand is more sure than that. And he had experienced it himself. He saw the glorified Savior. He heard the voice voice of God. And he said, let me tell you something. The word of God that you have in print is more sure than that experience. Why is that? Because if you did see the glorified Jesus Christ and hear the voice of God, I would give you about a month before you'd be questioning whether or not you'd really seen that. And by the way, try taking that experience to somebody else and saying, let me tell you what happened last week. Well, did you take any pictures? Where did you have your phone? Did you give me your, let me show. Did, nobody would believe you. You wouldn't win a single person of Christ by telling about that experience. But this... You use this to tell them about God, you're going to win some people to Christ. This is a more sure word of prophecy. The word of God is more sure than anything else to which you can anchor your soul. Number two, when you choose to anchor your soul to the word of God, you will have light in the darkness. You're living in a dark world. And I'm not talking because of the time change last week. I'm talking about the darkness of sin. The darkness of error is all around you every day. If you will anchor your soul to the word of God, you will have light. It says, whereunto you do well that you take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place. Number three, when you choose to anchor your soul in the word of God, you'll begin to have a greater knowledge of the things of God. It says, until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. Now, there's a lot of question about what is that talking about? Is that prophetic? Is it talking about... I'll tell you what it includes as far as I'm concerned is the truth of God coming to life in your own heart. 
Do you know why I still believe the things of God with all of my heart after all these years? Because I invested in it as a child by the grace of God, and now it's alive and well in my heart. Number four, when you choose to anchor your soul in the Word of God, you learn that the Bible is not, I'm sorry, you learn that the Bible is to be received by man as a whole, not in parts. Now, there's so much more there that we, than what we have time to talk about here, and I don't want to wear you out. But, I mean, literally, there's 2,000 years worth of history since then to talk about in light of that statement. Knowing first, it says that the, no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. What does that mean? That means that you can't say, well, you know, I don't really believe the Bible, but I really love the book of James, so I'm going to run off and build my life on that. No, Peter was saying under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the Word of God is to be taken as a whole. And if you don't take it as a whole, then none of the individual parts are going to be what they're supposed to be. It is to be taken as a whole. The Bible is of no private interpretation. Number five, when you choose to anchor your soul in the Word of God, you come to understand that the Bible is not man's creation. It says, verse 21, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man. Now, you've had people, if you've told anybody that you're a Christian, you've had people tell you, well, you know, man wrote the Bible. And, I mean, that's just another ignorant cop-out by people who don't want to address the issue. And by the way, a person who doesn't anchor their soul in the Word of God is never going to know the truth. There's, there's a certain investment that you have to make before you're going to know what's really true. But once you do make that investment, once you do anchor your soul to the Word of God, you come to realize that this book, God gave it to us as a whole. And it is God's doing. You can, you can get messed up about, yeah, yeah, but what about, you know, how come some groups believe the apocryphal books and we don't? And who, who decided what, would, what belonged in the canon of Scripture? And all these kinds of questions... And I have to tell you, I want you to know this about the pastor, is that I have a faith-based doctrine, not an intellectual-based doctrine. Now, don't take that as me saying I'm stupid because I've done plenty of my homework. But what I'm saying is I took God at his word first and then found out the facts. And you know what? The facts always line up with the faith. Faith is taking God at his word. So I anchored my soul to the word of God when I was about 16, after I'd done my homework. And now everything I learned, whatever you want to talk about, you want to talk about scientific, archaeological evidence, you want to, <clears throat> excuse me, you want to talk about mathematics, you want to talk about linguistics, you want to talk about history, yeah, you want to talk about manuscript evidence, so that you talk about anything you want to, and every bit of research I've done lines up with what God says is true in the Bible. Number six. We're so almost done. Don't panic. When you choose to anchor your soul in the word of God, you learn that God has used godly men to give us his word. By the way, these are well-known godly men. Most of the Bible was written by three men that most of the world has heard of. Moses, David, and Paul. Everybody's heard of Moses. 
Everybody's heard of King David. You see his, his emblem, the, the Star of David on the news every day. And the Apostle Paul. There are some lesser known writers that wrote smaller portions of scripture, but most of the Bible was written by men who loved God and who all these years later, two and 3,000 years later, still have a reputation as godly men, number seven. But, But don't forget, God did use godly men. No, the Bible didn't just float down out of heaven or God told some men, hey, I got this great leather-bound book with gold edges and it's under a rock in Israel. Go to this location and you'll find it there. Get it and make a bunch of copies. No, that's not how it happened. Holy men of God. One at a time. By the way, 40 different men, most of them never met each other. They lived on three different continents. They spoke three different languages. They never had an opportunity to compare notes, and yet it never contradicts itself one time. There's no way to explain that except God did that. God used holy men. Last point, we're done. When you choose to anchor your soul in the Word of God, you learn that the Holy Spirit of God has been in control of the process every step of the way. It says, holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. The Holy Spirit of God gave the words to man. The Holy Spirit of God preserved it, though men have tried to destroy it. You realize how many attacks there have been in the Bible in the last 2,000 years? Holy, the Holy Spirit of God preserved it as it was being copied by hand. The Holy Spirit of God preserved it as it was translated. The Holy Spirit of God preserved it through efforts to pervert it. There have been all kinds of false teachings that have tried to twist the Word of God. The Holy Spirit of God delivered it to your heart. The Holy Spirit of God will teach it to you. The Holy Spirit of God will help you teach it to others. And all these things are based on promises that God gives in the Bible. Where is your soul anchored? Every person in this room has to decide that for yourself. Where will your your soul be anchored? What are you going to tie the hope of your life to? I testify to you. I decided as a young man to anchor my soul to the word of God. And all these years later, I'm so glad. Could I say this? I don't say this proudly. I say this giving glory to God. You wouldn't have a church to go to this morning if I had made that choice when I was 16. Now, what are you going to do for the people who come after you? Where are you going to anchor your soul? What's your family going to be like based upon where you anchor your soul? What's your future life going to look like based on where you choose to anchor your soul? Let's all stand together this morning. Let's go to the Lord.